We're back. <laughs> What's up? All right, we're going to jump right into chapter four of the audiobook of Spiritual okay. Warfare, Angels and Demons, which is actually chapter two in the book. So you were given the message of we must understand death first. And yes. you find yourself at an old frontier bank where an explosion goes off and you die. And then you're in a sea storm and you're drowned below deck. You know, you're like trying to get to the ceiling and the water's up and you die. And, but it's quick and painless to you. And then you're given the instruction, and this was probably Chief Joseph, that death is no longer feeling. Life is vitality. When you no longer feel, you are dead. And then the message is, it is not death, but a bad life that destroys the soul. What say you about death and understanding death first? Because I think a lot of people have a lot of fear around death and just being really attached to this body, like this is it. Last night I found myself in surrender, just kind of surrendering all the things that I think are really me, but it's not the eternal me. It's just the me that's here on this third dimension right now. Well, I think what Chief Joseph was trying to bring out of me and is trying to bring out of all of those who are watching here is that our perception of what death is, is very limited. And so we think of death, we think of it as the end of our physical life on earth. And that is the very grounded version of what death is. And that it, we do have a lot of, a lot of people have a lot of fear of that. And part of that fear comes from the fact that because of this forgetfulness that we are given as we enter into this life, people don't remember that we are literally just a blink of an eye into this reality, a blink of an eye into the next. And that, you know, that these things are just moments in eternal time. So death is another blink and you blink and you're elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But what he's trying to get us to think about is what death really is, because physical death is not what death as the concept is. Because again, now let's go back to what we've talked about in terms of spiritual warfare and the terms of discernment. It's creation, destruction, moving forward versus moving backward. And I, I did want to point something out about backwards and forwards. You know how people say, gosh, it just seems like everything's so backward. <laughs> mm -hmm. People say that for a reason, because there's on, like an unconscious awareness that things are going backwards. It's not correct. It's not moving in a forward direction. That, so now we're looking at life and death, creation, destruction, forwards and backwards, life and death. So Chief Joseph is trying to tell me several things. We were talking about how life and death are a presence and an absence of caring, a presence and an absence of feeling, a presence and an absence of vitality. And so when you look at these elements, how many people do all of us know, and many of us might have to take a look at ourselves as well and say, how many people do we know who are actually dead right now? Mm -hmm. And so then 
what does that force us to look at in terms of what does that mean for us if we wish to go forward, if we are residing in a death-like state, which is kind of like giving up, having given up and you just stopped feeling, stopped caring, stopped doing, stopped seeking, and then you've just stopped. And this is not an uncommon place to be for human beings. Human beings are very comfortable there, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a really nice uh, place to kind of just hang out and, and, and it's very comfortable because you don't have to do anything. It gives you the freedom to not strive. Mm -hmm. And we all get tired, we all get exhausted, striving and doing all the things that push us forward can, can be difficult. And so it's easier to just enter into death. Mm -hmm. So Chief Joseph is actually showing me at a point of an actual physical death in my own past lifetimes, he's actually forcing me to deal with the concept of death of the spirit. So he's showing that there's more to death than just death of the body. There is a death of the soul. And this is now showing us that death is much bigger because again, if you go back to what he asked me at the very beginning of my journey with him, I had to make a choice of life or death. And I had to choose life. And that's choosing to go forward. That's choosing creation versus destruction. That's choosing evolution versus standing still or going backwards. So all of these things are coming together now in this understanding of life and death. What does life and choosing life versus death actually mean now? And Chief Joseph is telling me it means Choosing life means you have to feel, you have to care, you have to have vitality. How do you have vitality? The spirit has to be moving within you. And so if that is no longer the case, you are living in a living death. And a living death can be anything from complete and utter ignorance or utter disregard to even just simply doing the same thing over and over and over again, just because it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. You can be living in a way where you follow a series of rituals that you're told are good enough. And that makes you feel like that's good enough. I'm good. And I'm going to do all the things I want, but I do this. Like, let's say I go to church on Sunday and I, I pay my tithing or I do this or you know, if I'm of another faith, I go to the mosque or the synagogue, and that's enough. I don't have to do more. It, you know, why is that that I'm comfortable there? Doesn't require me to strive. Go back now to Daniel Pierce. What did Daniel Pierce not do? He didn't question. He didn't question. He didn't do the thinking. He didn't require anything more of himself than following along, right? Mm -hmm. This is 
a really important and profound realization, but it's also kind of overwhelming and sometimes scary for us. It seems so simple, but it can be overwhelming and scary. Why? Because what this tells us is that we might not be doing enough. <laughs> there might be more required of us to strive more, to question more, to really go through the process that is placed in front of us, to try harder to understand our fellow human beings, to try harder to love, to give, to, to be something more, to create movement. I always remember there's all these little lines that I would hear in the spirit world from various, you know, angels and spiritual guardians throughout the years. And one of them I loved was from a, an angel who came up to me and said, it's time to take a little walk in the movement today. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I just loved it. It stuck with me and I remember it. And part of the reason why is because what is the movement? What do you think the movement is? Well, it's continually striving, going forward, being in the creative aspects of life, choosing life, choosing energy. Very well said. And, but in the spirit world, the movement is actually this moving spiritual ether. And so when you're being invited to take a walk in the movement, you're literally taking a walk, you're stepping into this moving ether. You are walking in the movement, which is going forward and it's vital and it's life-giving and going forward towards God. Mm -hmm. And so when you're taking a walk in the movement, that's what you're doing. And what you just said was perfect as to how do you do that in a physical body when you can't see that energetic trail of movement? That's how you do it. Okay, so what would its opposite be then? If you can't take a walk in the movement, what is the opposite of that? Sloth. Yeah. And that's where the movement ceases. One of my consciousness teachers, our whole thing was to always drive towards consciousness. I don't know if somebody asked the question to him or he just volunteered the information. One of the ways to continue on that journey, he said, was to stay hungry. Stay hungry, very well. Find, find a way to be inspired. So if you're not, find a way to get hungry again so that you're hungry for that consciousness. You're hungry for that, whatever it is, knowledge, that next step, that next evolution. Yes, yes, well said. And, you know, people go through these ebbs and flows in the spiritual life and people will go through these dry periods, but then you have to be moving towards that altering again back to the hunger like and i keep and i keep seeing sorry to interrupt you i keep seeing people sitting on the couch which i do but then i'll put a guitar in my hand so like if i am watching the episode of survivor or something <laughs> with my wife at least i'm like learning a song while i'm doing it so i'm i try to use my time to do something moving forward whatever yes. But this kind of brings us into the mystery of evolution. I kind of left it there, but 
people sitting on the couch. I mean, is the thing is, is that people work hard. Yeah. And everybody has a couch. A lot of people will sit down to relax and watch a show, maybe their favorite show. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that what happens is we become so complacent and we kind of lose the whole gist of why we're here to grow and evolve and to, to help others, to help the realm. And we just kind of get into our habitual ways of, of being. And then years go by and then a lifetime goes by. Right. And then, you know, so then you're looking at the energy ceasing, but then the energy also going in the opposite direction. So if you're taking a walk in the movement, there's also a movement that goes backwards. And that's where you see, because, you know, those who are energized towards evil are just as energized as those who are energized towards the light. And that's one of the difficulties, and this is important in spiritual warfare to delineate that, because they are energized by an actual force, and it is just as energized, and people can get really, really energized, and they're going backwards, and they're getting just as energized. Let's say, let's, let's just take it to a really nasty, gross evil, like a serial killer. They can be extremely drawn into whatever obsession they um, they might have and the dark side will energize that pursuit just as strongly as God will energize a good, loving, godly pursuit. So you can see how when you're sitting there in that place of ceasing where there is no energy moving and you're just circling. Stacy's. Yes, Stacy's. You could go either way. And you may not even realize it. And we're, we're, of course, using an extreme example there with the serial killer. But you may not even realize it when you start moving slowly into the backwards flow versus the forwards motion. And, and that can be so simple because especially if the discernment is not being developed. So like you're using the example of the couch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to, there's no energization. Well, we want to be fair about that because sometimes people are watching things that can provide energization. And I, and I sit on the couch. I do too. Well, I I have a chair. Sometimes you got a chair. (laughs) I have a chair over there. What's that? (laughs) This is a a chair, I guess. I guess I have one. But, you know, there are things that people watch and it doesn't necessarily even have to be something with a spiritual thrust. It can be something where people are learning about other people, learning about other things in the world. And it, it, they just, they find through the art of other people because there are people who are putting out, there's also a lot of trash, but there's also things where people are through the art of other people learning about the lives of others, learning about different types of things. And that can have fruitfulness. That can be good and fruitful. But we all know, especially in today's world where there's millions and millions of streaming hours that people can get glued to the chair and glued to the couch. And it's much easier to do that than to pick up an ancient sacred text and actually do the the study or the work that might be more specific than to the soul but it doesn't 
completely eliminate that there is some usefulness sometimes when we see what's happening with some of the art that's produced. Even like I don't, I'm not familiar with Survivor. I haven't watched it in like, I watched the first season. So I remember sort of, but that was like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But you know, some of these programs can be a way for people to kind of like watch other people, uh, people watching. And so there can be some kind of interaction with other people where people might not have that. There can also be, you know, these unique circumstances and things that people might not otherwise have the opportunity to be a part of or whatever. And so you don't completely discount that there is there is some purpose that's being fulfilled by some of the things that are available to people. But but we do know that there's also a lot of stuff that is really pointless and going the other way, going the other way. And, and, and a lot then also is on the particular person who's watching as to whether or not they are finding real value Mm -hmm. from what they choose to watch. They are learning about different types of people, different kinds of families or whatever, you know, that is presented through another filmmaker's selection of stories, you know what I mean? Also, Survivor is kind of like what's happening on the planet. It's like you got to make the right moves, <laughs> you know, on Earth, and like you got to discern like if somebody's like telling a lie or talking behind your back or creating some kind of trap for you so that you can continue on. But for us, it's a social time. I think it is for other yeah. people too, where you sit around the TV and so we'll talk about things and talk about the people and like, oh, you know. That person's like this, or their characters like this, or whatever. Yeah, and so that's 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 important to point out too, because I think it's easy to just, you know, just knock that particular thing when a lot of people do use it as their time that they spend together, and they do talk about stuff. And so, you know, we don't want to just say that's just bad. It's it's all a matter of. Yeah finding that moderation and then also finding the value in what you're watching and that kind of thing. I've watched other shows that are survival based, you know, the, mm-hmm. where they put them up in different places and they all have to figure out who lasts the longest. And, and I think those are interesting just because you see it's man against nature and who mm-hmm. can, who can handle the solitude and, and, and obviously all the challenges of starving and having to live off the land. And, you know, so there are all these interesting types of situations that we can kind of witness from our couches, you know? I mean, I could do, I could probably win Survivor, but I, <laughs> but I would need to have uh, my apartment to be taken with me to the island. <laughs> and then you'd be good like a refrigerator <laughs> but i gotta have like heat when i want it yep <laughs> when i get too hot i need to be able to cool it down right right you know so, and plenty of food <laughs> i'd totally win that <laughs> yeah i mean you know i guess the point is is that when we're lukewarm i've you know heard that god spits out the lukewarm and in a way it's just like i get it there's no energy there's nothing really happening so they're receptive or calling out and asking to be energized then okay but if they're not doing anything he's going to put his eternal energy where it's going to be most used in the best way 
Right. And we can, we can de-energize things. People really have to look at their own scenario very, very honestly, because a lot of people will do just the same thing over and over and over again. And they're literally like in a circling scenario where they're not leaving any room for things to alter and change and grow into something else. And that is where you want to take a look and make room because you do have to have that room to, for that continuing change. The only constant of the eternal is change. <laughs> so this, this section could be just summed up in two words. This is the stay hungry section. Stay hungry. Let's do it. Yeah. So, you know, you just mentioned uh, evolution. So let's talk about the mystery of evolution. What is, is, and what is not, is not. We're talking about evolution is like tobacco. Yep. Creation is the flame that changes everything it touches indefinitely. The tobacco just stays the way it is until... The flame touches it. And then... And well, you know, Chief Joseph said it better than I can say it right off the top of my hat, but... I think it's life is transformed by the flame of love. And everything is altered by what we become. And once we become something else, then everything is altered. Right. And, and I know that Chief Joseph used the tobacco as the, as the example, because when the flame touches the tobacco, it burns and then it becomes ash. So it's no longer tobacco. It becomes ash. It's a different substance. And this is what happens to souls as they are going through evolution is that we become something that is nothing like the previous substance of which we began. And the and, ash can be made into something else. Right. As well, right? The ash can become all sorts of things. You know, it can be placed in the ground as fertilizer for new growth. What came after this was the seed of God in us must be watered by caring. And humanity is a seed always changing. So that's to, to go along with the tobacco. And then evolution comes in phases. We help it by understanding cause and effect. We are a karmic species and the earth is a karmic realm. And then also that karmic souls live off of other souls and eternal souls do not have the same need. They thrive in aloneness and silence and have a wish to be unseen living from light, the light within with the knowledge of oneness, not the energy of others. So it's a little different, but it's kind of going in the same vein with the tobacco. Right, and the, with the, the seed of humanity, it was so important with Chief Joseph to learn cause and effect. And what this is, is there is a tendency in the human realm to want to like explain away cause and effect. And it really is that simple. And I know, I remember he said, you know, that you know that in the physical realm, if you jump off a cliff, you will fall and you will get smashed and die. If you're in an astral realm, you can, you can jump off a cliff and you might fly up into the astral sky, but you can't do that in a physical realm. The cause and effect of the physical realm is very simple. You know, you can't do that or you die. And there are many forms of cause and effect in our world that we as human beings try to explain away or say, no, 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 that's not. And it's, but we know that it's true. It's just simply 
you know, we go back to those scenarios that we talked about yesterday, the hostage situations, the civil war, the soldiers. If you are energizing an action, then there's there are likely outcomes. And there, in those cases, the outcomes involved them dying because they had gone in and instigated a violent action, even though they had a perceptual change it was still too late to change the cause and effect of that action, which was that the SWAT teams came in and they were killed. In the Civil War situation, he had a perceptual change. He left his camp, was walk, wanting to go north, but this, still the cause and effect was he died at the hands of a Union soldier who didn't think any Confederate deserved to live. And that's just the cause and effect of the realm at the time of the Civil War. And so we have all these things where we don't want to deal with the cause and effect of our own lustful desires, our own greed, our own desire to be noticed or get something that we isn't, doesn't belong to us. Maybe it belongs to someone else and we know that or someone else is more worthy of it. And we, we just want it anyway. We may get into the habit of, well, I do this and that, but that's okay. Yes. There was a moment when you were feeling shame from the harm that you did to others, but your own destiny protected you. We talked about this. Yes. Yesterday. But if you were to engage in such actions now, you would not be protected because right. you have the knowledge now, right? Right. So you're protected for sometimes you're protected for a time. Some people are not. We see that all the time. People die young, you know, DUI accidents, reckless driving. We see people get involved in violent altercations and they have no protection. Someone dies, you know, or they're very seriously hurt. We see that happen all the time. But some people are protected from their own ignorance for a time. And then once they know better, then that protection is somewhat lifted and th they know that if they do that now, they won't have the same kind of protection. It's, but for the grace of God go I, you know, is what, that's what that saying comes from is that realization that people have yeah. always had that somehow I was protected when I should have not survived that or the same thing should have happened to me and it didn't for whatever reason. It's that protection that was given to people when they were engaged in something that they knew the cause and effects were of a different nature than what they actually suffered, that they were protected and given a different outcome. They didn't die. They weren't in a terrible accident. Also on that note is our intention is just as important as our action with the cause and effect. So the energetic truth behind our actions. Yes, the energetic truth behind our action always determines the actual validity of the interaction and the actual substance of the interaction. And it's actually, in God's eyes, more important uh, than anything, because the intention is why we do something. And how many of us, if you, especially if you've lived as long as you and I, know that you can have the best of intentions and then you you go forward and you do something and it doesn't turn out the way you think it should have based on, well, gosh, 
my perfectly logical thinking told me this should turn out this way and look what's happened instead. But, you know, God knows what our intentions were. And it's like, well, if I had known it would go this way, I might have tried something entirely different instead. But when our intentions were good, but we just didn't know better, you know what I mean? And sometimes we do things with all good intentions and we do the right thing with good intentions and it still goes bad in the end. That happens too. And that's why our intentions are given such importance because our intention is really the determination of where we stand in the evolutionary thrust, which is the altruism, the, the caring for our soul's well-being and the well-being of other souls, that there is this continual desire for the betterment of all who interact with my path. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, and, if we're going to evolve, we need to move into energetic responsibility. Right. That we, do. We, oh, take, we take that responsibility that energetically we're responsible for everything that we shoot out there. And we become more aware of this as we continue in the mystical spheres. We become more and more aware of the energy that we do put out towards other souls in every circumstance, every set of actions, every set of non-action. And Chief Joseph said something to you about the threshold of energetic responsibility. And when he told it to you, you were like, whoa, like that's kind of, that sounds like a pretty big deal. Yeah. And he said, when you are given the gift of knowledge, you must then take responsibility for the alteration of energy throughout your realm. And it is a gift, uh, it is a, a great gift that you will be continuous, continuously tested upon once you have okay. that. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, and that's when, when you become capable of altering realities in all worlds. And then it starts with your realm. And then you, you also move into other worlds, but starts with the realm which you occupy. And then you get taken into more and more scenarios, but not just scenarios, but energies, you know, bigger energies. So, you know, we had talked yesterday about these individual circumstances that we, we get called into. You start getting called into what I call constructs, which have more to do with either larger events larger regional or worldwide events, or even just energetic happenings in the mystical spheres that have no correlation with events. It's just something that has to be addressed in, you know, we talked about the energetic grid around the earth and how that had to be uh, given some energy and balance. And we brought white light from Venus up towards it to try to give it a little more balance so you start dealing with these types of things that are part of the realm that you occupy and it, and it runs anything from the energy of, I remember being taken into the energy of the LA riots before they happened in the nineties 
And it was this big construct operation, a destruct construct, which is what it's called, where you're taking down an old, an old construction that no longer works and creating a new construct where that used to be to things where you are working on the energetic grid of the earth or you are actually dealing with the demons in the air and actually battling some of those forces and having to try to work with getting some of them out of the realm. Had experiences where I was allowed to ride on the back of St. Michael and watch how St. Michael would move through our realm. And with a singular thought, he would bind demons and remove them from this realm and they would be sent back to the second realm and placed in some type of restraint there. And there was some way that he knew which demons were here, quote unquote, lawfully, and which ones were here unlawfully. And again, that goes back to what we spoke about where demons are given permission to be around us when we have thoughts of their vice. And so there are some that are here, not, I shouldn't even say some, because there's hundreds of millions of them that are here mm -hmm. because of the thoughts of humanity and the actions of humanity, just as there are some angels of virtue here because of the thoughts of humanity, but they are much more minimal on the side of the principalities and powers of good. And that's because so much has happened in the realm of even just the fact that one of the great things for the dark side is the belief that a lot of people now have that there is no such thing. Demons don't exist. Satan doesn't exist. And the dark side doesn't exist. Everything's just, you know, your own perception, your view, your opinion. It's all fine. Everything's good. And what's that, what that has done has given a real level playing field for the demons to really just kind of run rampant. Uh, and, you know, part of that comes from what we talked about, walking in the movement. And when you have so many souls who are sitting on the sidelines and are too lazy to strive, they have to create doctrines to support that. And so the doctrines they've created to support that include things that are basically saying everything's good. No matter what you do, it's fine. There is no good and evil. There's no hell. There's no Satan. And by saying those things, they're like, ah, I breathe a sigh of relief. Nothing's required of me. I can just continue to stay out of the movement forward and just kind of sit on my laurels because everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And so well, that's what happens when you kind of sit still, you create doctrines to support that. And that makes the devil's job real easy. Yes. Because mm -hmm. there's no moral foundation that he has to break down. Exactly. And so you can see how that, that doctrine makes everything so simple. And, you know, it, there was a line in the Old Testament where it said, there will come a time when good will be evil and evil will be good. I think there's probably been more than one time like that in history, but we're definitely seeing a time in history like that now as well. And when you do that, you do the same thing. You make it so that those who are in that stillness, the energy where nothing is going forward or backwards, and those who are moving backwards are very comfortable. 
because evil is good and good is evil. So you can look down on the people who are striving, the people who are actually trying to do the discernment and move forward and trying to push away and pull off the dross from their own souls. They just look stupid and gosh, why are they doing all that? That's dumb. What a waste of time, right? And you can sit there very comfortably doing nothing. And you see how, how that makes life simple for, you know, the doctrines of the demons is what, you know, is kind of referred to in the mystical spheres. There was a, a mystic by the name of Reverend John McGowan, who uh, had a special gift where he would be allowed to actually see the conversations of the demons in hell. And he wrote a book called The Dialogues of the Devils. And I put him, he was included in my book called Forgotten Mystics. And he goes into all of these very interesting details about how the, the demons use every one of these kinds of things to pull off what they're trying to accomplish with human beings. And, and we've made it easy for them. And those of you who are willing to see real change and care become so important. You are the ones who take on the energetic responsibility for your world. Most people have to die before they can see that. And I remember you were talking to Chief Joseph about this, and he was he was really making it clear that so many people have to die. Just, you know, you were able to see it. While well, still alive, yeah. Still alive. But most people, they don't see it. Yeah, unless they die, have a near-death experience or, yeah. So that's why it's so important that those who are willing to see the real change and care become so important because you're the ones that take on the energetic responsibility for the world. Yes, exactly. Right. Yes. And you know, it, it's, it's so helpful, I think, for anyone who's trying to think forward and think of getting, you know, walking in the movement, stepping in the movement to realize there are all these easy pitfalls and these pitfalls, they're everywhere. It's so simple to just, oh, okay, I don't have to do that. That's, that's stupid. It's a waste of time. But the reality is, is purification is kind of difficult. It's, I, you know, I wouldn't say that it's overwhelmingly difficult, but it is hard to do it. It takes effort. And most of us would rather not deal with it. And but you said it really well here is reaching to the great spirit requires pure intention. Yeah. Otherwise, it means nothing. Yes. And we have to be willing to be shown what is true, regardless of what our previous view of reality might have been, whether it's the reality about God and our world or the reality about our own soul, which is probably the harder part of seeing our own soul. But it is so, the reason it's so important to be able to do that is because by allowing ourselves to see the energetic truth of ourselves and even of others, we accelerate that path by literally decades. Because otherwise you can literally spin and wander in, in this place for decades on one issue 
over and over and over again. But if it's shown to you and you feel it energetically, you witness the energetic truth of it, you are much more likely to address it quickly and now rather than 20, 30 years from now. <laughs> that's why it's so amazing to have the ancient sacred texts. Right. All these great masters and prophets and spiritual teachers who have spent their whole life and have kind of laid it out like boom, boom. And so I've been doing this for 70 years and this is what I can <laughs> yeah. as opposed to like just fumbling around ourselves. Like we have these guideposts. Yes. You had this experience where you were walking on the tops of mountaintops with like these big, let me see how my hands get bigger. Yes. These big giant strides and kind of those mountaintops to me are like, the ancient sacred texts. Yes. And you know, what happens with that as well, I mentioned before that it's such a blessing that I've had to be able to receive emails from people after having written these things, because it gives me this insight into how similar all of us are. Another thing that it's given me insight into is just that, and, and the ancient sacred texts do this as well. We are sharing this planet, this reality, this physical classroom, because we are much more similar than we'd like to admit or realize. And what I've learned, which I think is extremely freeing, it like takes a boulder off your back, is that when you start recognizing we're all here doing kind of the same thing, the purification process becomes much simpler because you don't feel like, oh, look, I don't want anyone to notice. Gosh, I struggle with lust or greed. It's like, oh yeah, I do too. <laughs> okay. So I need to, I need to recognize that and figure out how I'm going to overcome it. You become much quicker to say, okay, I see it. I need to address it. And you don't feel like you have this deep, dark secret about yourself. You are able to recognize, no, I'm just one of everyone. <laughs> I'm one of everyone. And I'm going, to, I'm going to actually do something about it because I don't want to keep coming back here and just doing it over and over and over and over again, which is what we are all doing. If you are incarnate here, then you can deduce from that that you are doing that because yeah, that's why we come here. Yeah, and as you say and have said, it's all of us have some of these proclivities. Yes. Of these mm -hmm. vices. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. So basically, if you want to find someone who has similar issues to you, just go down the street, yeah. drive around, look at anybody. Because <laughs> everyone here has something. Yes. And then, you know, here you go. The ancient sacred texts, these are the masters. If you read the ancient sacred texts, you will find that they all had them too. The difference between the great masters and us is that they never gave up on overcoming, understanding, and trying to walk in the movement and go beyond those vices and go higher so that they could go into the next level when they left here. Everything happens in the energetic realm before it hits the ground, right? We've talked about that. And this is where the Lord's warriors go to assist in the five winds of alteration. 
which are undertaken by guardian angels, eternal warriors, and various souls who work for the Lord. Mm -hmm. So one is alteration of perception. And I'll just read off the five, and then we can do one at a time. So alteration of perception. Number two is alteration of the outcome of a physical event. Three is removal of dark energies around souls. Four is removal of evil spirits or demons around souls. Five is rendering benign or de-energizing demons that are incarnate in human form. So one, perception. And the alteration of perception is when we go in and the Civil War soldier is an excellent example of that. And I believe we did that with the Japanese camp as well, where you're going in and you're helping a soul to see events or something differently. I'd say more commonly, you'll do this with someone who needs to have deeper understanding into a family member, a loved one, and they you will go in and you will implant. Like So we go back to the example of the father and the son where there was that rage and we were able to throw in the love and understanding and then they laughed and hugged each other instead of having a, a violent outburst. Most of these perceptual alterations are allowing each other to see through each other's eyes and that changes everything. You use the example of a couple of helpers that there was, there was multiple helpers but they didn't have eternal permission and there were some pregnant women and they were going to jump the women and kill them. Yes. And uh, again, they didn't have eternal permission. So, so you showed up and you said, we will not. <laughs> and then you used your medicine and you said, we'll take a bigger risk for a better alteration. Then you lifted your hands and you used a lighted beam all around the group and suspended them. They didn't try to move because they kind of knew that something was happening. It's like, oh, okay. And then you brought the women over and had the women talk about their pregnancies, their experiences, what's going on with them. And through that, the perceptions of this hateful group turned around and suddenly they were interested and wanted to know more about these people. And you know, maybe there's some way that they can help them to find other options. Yes. And so what they wanted to do initially was they wanted to kill them because they were going to have an abortion and we had to stop the people from trying to kill them but I wanted it to be a higher alteration where we could actually get something better out of it and these people event in the end did they came back out of that alteration and in, they were actually offering more tangible help to the women so that they could carry on with their pregnancies and i believe they you know even possibly help them with possible adoption but um but they were going to help them to do something else so that they weren't they didn't feel like they had no other alternative and a lot of times this is the kinds of things that we can become very tainted by where we don't understand the circumstances or the situation of another person and we judge their actions because we don't understand either what they're actually going through, what their actual circumstances are, or even, even if they're making, if someone's making a decision that might even be the wrong one, that they might have their own fears or 
limitations that lead them to this conclusion that would be easily understood if you saw through their eyes. And so that's kind of what happened there. The uh, alteration of the outcome of a physical event. Well, and that's when you go in and you stop something from happening. So, you know, another instance that's written about is a situation like, for, for instance, where there's going to be a gang shooting and I was supposed to go in and push one person out of the way because he wasn't supposed to die in that shooting. Right. And there's a lot that happened in that. Because Well, was- what happened was he he was more of a gentleman. And the other part of the gang were kind of plotting a sexual assault against you, but he was protective. And just as the event was about to happen, he put a jacket over you. And so then you missed the directive, the command at that moment, and everybody was shot. And then you went to a regenerization station. Is that how you say it? re-energization yes yeah and so you found yourself but what happened is once you got shot you forgot your mission yep you didn't know where you were and you're wandering around aimlessly and then somebody who was kind of you know like i don't know about this guy but he took you to this place and you found yourself in the hospital bed getting re-energized right Uh, and your memory back and then right away it's like okay you're ready let's go you're like huh already (laughs) And you had two other missions that night that you accomplished. And then they told you that someone was going to go in earlier to get that guy out to to do something, right? To get him out of there so he can. Now, how about removal of uh, dark energies around souls? Well, there's a lot of situations like that one. That one's very common where uh, someone uh, either do their own thinking or do their actions there's a lot of dark energies. There can be lost souls. There can be just uh, dark energy, which can be the energy associated with what's going on with them. And you remove those energies because by removing that, you're giving them an opportunity to replace it with something higher. So if a soul is appearing to God, to the eternal, that it's ready to make a higher thrust, an alterer might be sent in to remove these dark energies. And then once those dark energies are removed, it's like a big weight has been taken from them. It makes it easier for them to actually take a higher, make a higher decision, take a higher thrust. And then you see if they do. Now, some souls will actually just bring in the old dark energy again. As the structure, structure (laughs) it's all built with the neural pathways and everything. (laughs) Well, we'll take it out, but it's like, I don't know, water just filling it back up. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that happens. But then there are those who take that opportunity and they do take that thrust. Yeah. Because when you have the weight of something on top of you, it's right difficult. And if you can take that off for a minute, maybe they can have clear thoughts yes. and go, oh, ooh, it's not on top of me. Okay. And giving you all those, you know, helping to energize those thoughts and such, right? Right. All of a sudden mm-hmm. that's gone. It's like, oh, it gives me a chance here. So yes. what kind of what kind of spiritual tools would spiritual warriors use in that instance to get rid of these uh, dark energies around souls? It's all light. And, you know, you start with the ball of light that's given to you, but that ball of light eventually is like absorbed into you. And you're literally going in. And as you move your hand, 
it literally spreads the light around the room and all that is dark there is just dissipated and completely removed. And so that's where it starts. And you have mystical protection while you're there. Yeah, as long as you're there and you're doing it because you've been called in, you're protected to a certain degree. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't situations where, you know, there's some serious spiritual warfare that we haven't gotten to yet, where you're dealing with demonic forces that are pretty intense, where things can't go awry, because they can, and Mm -hmm. that that you can have a, a physical impact, and that does happen. Yep. And then uh, removal of evil spirits or demons around souls. So we're just talking about deeper, darker. Deeper and darker. And that's when you actually have, it's not just dark energy. It's actually a demonic entity. And this can be in their homes or just around their person. And it's kind of the same thing. People call them in. We talked about how people have obsession demonic obsession and that's actually not that uncommon because we are the way we are and um so you go in and you take care of that now there still are a lot of situations as well where it's people may move into an old house or and sometimes it's not even an old house it's a house that was built on old land where something occurred where the house is now affected by whatever happened on that land so You know, it can be the property that someone is living in, but there is also the stuff that people generate themselves. But there is, and it's important to know this, you know, there is the factor too. There's a whole nother side to this that exorcists talk about, which is that the demonic will intentionally go after good souls to destroy them. And when they, you know, the exorcists see this with souls that get possessed, and when they talk to the the demonic, what they have shared, the exorcists have shared, is that the demons will go after unusually really good people Mm -hmm. because they want to corrupt that which is good. So And innocent innocence exactly and so you can't always assume that every everything that you see is because of the person because it isn't always the case and a lot of times there are a lot of places that have evil evil spirits and evil energy you know there are places well we've all heard about the hauntings that occur I had to go into places that were actually souls who had demonic uh, presences around them because they drew it in. But I also had to go into properties that were haunted or really, really satanically charged either by, you know, horrific murders, events, or satanic ritual or things like that. And so you do have different scenarios and circumstances that bring these things about. And so it's important to realize that there are people that can have situations like these and they literally had nothing to do with bringing it about, you know, (laughs) that happened. So the fifth one, which is rare, I'm sure, is rendering benign or de-energizing demons that are incarnate in human form. It is, it is rare for me. I don't know if it's rare for St. Michael. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Because mm-hmm. he does a lot of really fascinating things. And I was allowed to see a little bit of it. But yeah, for me, it was rare. 
And when you had a situation where there would be situations where you had like a really evil soul, I'm thinking of a woman in particular who was, I believe she was a serial killer and she was given an opportunity to, I'm not sure what she was given the opportunity to do, but she was given several different options and she was like, no, I'm not going to do anything. And so what ended up happening was she was turned into like a little cat. And so, you know, she had to be placed into the body of something more benign because she was so destructive. In the majority of cases that I've had, it was always, you know, you would, what, what was called dismantling, and you would send a bolt of light towards the demonic force, and that would shatter and dismantle them into thousands of tiny pieces and then in a second wave you would send them swiftly to the second realm where they would literally be put in almost like a prison like status there mm -hmm. and so that would be by far like 99.8 percent and there were these unusual circumstances where these were human souls where they were not demons, but they were probably pretty darn close to demons in their thrust. They were really evil and they would be turned into a little animal. And again, those would go to the mysteries of God as to why that were would be done rather than something else. But it was for the purpose of rendering them benign so they could no longer cause the kind of damage they were causing. Really, we the world would be, there wouldn't be much demon infestation if humans didn't call them in. Right. right. So, you know, when we talk about the earth, and I've talked about it in some of our other films where we mentioned that we're a borderland and we're a mortal realm. And in the mortal realms, that's where the battles between good and evil occur within us and outside of us. So as a borderland, we literally are on the cusp of the dark can come in from this side. The light can come in from this side. We're on the border. Yeah, right on the border. And it is us who has a lot to do with determining what is allowed in and it's because of what we do what we think what we produce here on earth and we can make earth closer to heaven we can make it closer to hell we have that much power which is scary but true and so because of the nature of humankind yes we are pretty much responsible and it's interesting when you and I've had these visions where you see the demons in the air, and then you go back and you read in the biblical texts, I'm reading a book that goes through the writings of the early fathers, the early Orthodox fathers, and they speak about this over and over again about the demons in the air. And, I, and I'm just like amazed by it because I'm like, wow, because that is exactly what you'll see when you get called into this. Again, we'll just do a little backtrack in one second so people can understand this better. But I've had many of these experiences where literally the, the skies were so crowded with demons 
It was almost impossible to move through them. And it was so exhausting to do so. It was so overwhelming. And you really literally had to battle your way all the way through. You'd be saying every prayer you could under your breath. And a lot of times you're so overwhelmed by the demonic energy, you couldn't speak. So you'd be thinking, 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 and you're just literally holding on for dear life that you're going to get through it. And there's thousands of demons and you. And that's what we're dealing with. And so in these ancient texts, that you know were written in the first zero to 500 years AD, they're talking about seeing the same thing, the demons in the air. <laughs> but what I wanted to zip back to was how a lot of times what people will experience when they first have out-of-body experiences, they're protected and they will see the beautiful things. They'll be taken, they will bypass and they will go into the heavenly experiences. You'll see this in my writings as well. You'll go into the heavenly experiences. You'll see what's beautiful. You'll see your guardian angel, your spiritual guardians. And it will only come over a gradual time where there will come a point where it's like, okay, it's time now for you to learn about the dark side, for you to learn about good and evil. And so there can be a tendency for people who've had some experiences, especially for people who've had one or two, or they've had a near-death experience, one or two near-death experiences, or even people who've had a lot of experiences, let's say they've had a hundred experiences, or maybe even more, but they've never seen any of this, and they think that tell, that's, a, that's like a sure sign none of this exists. Well, you're probably not going to be introduced to it until you've had 3,000 experiences. And you will only be introduced to that if you are actually called to know that and to be a part of it or to work within the realms of spiritual warfare in that way, because we're not all called to the same things. So these were things that I was called to and then to work in the realms of the heavens the purgatories and the hells with souls which is all part of that spiritual warfare as well so it's important for us to always remember and for me too because we only know what we have already seen we don't know what we haven't seen and we can get very arrogant about what we have seen in thinking that what we have seen covers the whole gamut, but it doesn't. There's always There's more. The living Buddha, living Christ. When we believe that ours is the only faith that contains the truth, violence and suffering will surely be the result. Yeah, that was Thich Nhat Hanh. Yeah, great. Now, I, want to, I want to bring up one thing is you were talking about the, the woman, that, was it witchcraft that she was into and you came to give her a choice i um, i believe she was also a serial killer serial killer again okay, you saw it was like either she goes towards life but the reason you were going to turn her into a cat is because the cat has uh, she'd be more uh, conforming to that predatory nature mm -hmm. yes so i just wanted to bring in that key word of the predatory nature and that's why you were like okay you can go towards the light or and you were just kind of like hey you know 
<laughs> or I can turn you into something harmless like a little cat. <laughs> she was like, and you're like, okay, see you later. <laughs> yeah, and you know, when we talk about that predatory nature, it's something that's discussed in detail in the books about how the, the nature of the earth, there's a predatory nature here, and you see that in the animal kingdom. And then the, the level that we as humanity is supposed to be striving for is the will of love. So we're supposed to move from that predatory will, which, you know, is the karmic will where we're all bumping off of each other and kind of living off of each other and kind of causing a little damage here and there to the will of love, which is uh, working in harmony for one another. That's kind of the gamut of the evolution that needs to take place in this realm. We have to go from the predatory will to the will of love. And so that's our little, our little guideline for what we need to do to move forward when we leave this place. Predatory love. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Where are we on the spectrum, right? I mean, we all, we have all of it. Right. Where are we going to, what are we going to energize, right? Right. The spirit path can only be taken alone. It is only in our aloneness that the spirit path appears before us. The spirit path is from within. All that is outside of this cannot come in. Live your life according to caring. Do not become self-righteous, but seek to become the highest ideal within yourself. Be the light, but do not be afraid of the darkness. Allow things to be altered through you rather than by you. And never exalt yourself above the human race, because it is only by being fully human and fully spirit that you may serve and ultimately give humanity a higher definition. Yes. I like that. Because I think, you know, that goes in alignment with what you're saying is sometimes we may be doing some spiritual work, but then suddenly we might think like, yeah, don't you know who I am? I'm doing some spiritual work. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love the way you said that. <laughs> so funny. But I mean, it's, yeah, I think all of us relate to it. I think we do. Yeah. <laughs> remember the bright white light as you thought about the gift of your medicine you must give back that which has been taken restore that that has been lost this is chief joseph talking to you his uh, name means thunder traveling to loftier heights by the way yes. so restore that that has been lost and then you are to return to the mountains in the sky and learn from the old ones and you find yourself in this place where it's a, a tribal culture and you had been raped by this uh, dark uh, native. Mm -hmm. And the chief, he was in charge of, of everyone and brought him to this cave and there's these hot burning coals. And the dark one who uh, was the rapist, he grabbed this hot rock and he has made these three horizontal lines in his chest and bleeding profusely. And he laughed like, ha ha, and like threw the rock to the chief. And the chief like caught it in his hand. And so I guess when the guy did this, he was like, you know, this is how much po how powerful I am. You'll never be able to outdo me. And the chief just took the hot molten rock and just well, he took big bites of it and blood just pouring down 
And then he looked at this, this being, this native, and just said, I will tear your heart out. And this, in the alteration realm, is the most powerful thing that you can say. I will take your heart out. I will, yes. take, I will take your heart out. Yes. And it's interesting because a little bit later on. Do you remember why it's the most powerful thing? Yeah, because uh, what happens is when you take their heart out, they must see and feel the things that they've done to other people. And that's exactly. the most painful thing there you go and so now you see you know one of the biggest and most impactful things of a near-death experience is having their heart taken out right you found yourself it's in all this... different things it's the life review whatever but it's the same thing mm -hmm. and you know i've gone through that myself because i've had some you know close calls and i had a near-death experience and when you have that experience of being placed in the shoes of the people that you've hurt and you feel it that is the most powerful thing that's what daniel brinkley told me too like he was everything was so vivid and happened so fast he's like you'd be like in a dentist chair you'd be able to count how many nose hairs are in the dentist's nose because it's so vivid yeah but you do go through that life experience he said through the eyes of everybody else and knowing exactly how you made them feel. Yeah. Some people are just oblivious and, you know, we're, we're trying to go from selfish to selflessness, right? Right. Not judging the person, but it's like, wow. When someone's so self-involved that they don't see any effects that they're having on people. And then when they die, they're just going to be shocked. It's, like, it's gut-wrenching. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that even when we are really trying to be considerate of other people, we are still amazed at the people that we've heard along the way. It's, it's still shocking, you know, because we are shown everything, even through our childhood. So we go back to even those moments. There are things that we wouldn't think of on our own. I remember remembering things that I didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and be like oh my gosh that matters and i didn't even remember it <laughs> so i wonder if we can talk a little bit about karmic delusions sure and then karmic circling and karmic retribution okay should we show the paintings quickly yeah let's do it so we had talked about these paintings uh earlier and i went and got them so we have this was absolute disillusion of body and mind this is when you know the soul enters into like the liquid molecules of life and of course it's a it's hard to capture but i tried it's awesome what are the what are the spirals the spirals are like the spiraling ether all around you I have another one where it's just like all dots in the liquid ether. It's like the liquid consciousness, liquid mass in the consciousness of one is what that one's called. It's kind of similar, but this is a deeper state of it where you're just literally this molecule and all these other consciousnesses are just these little dots, these molecules. And that's kind of what we were talking about yesterday. And you mentioned the uh, 
getting these paintings out. And then yep. we talked yesterday as well about when I became the medicine woman and the transformation into the medicine woman. And this is a painting that I did of that transformation into becoming a medicine woman. And as you can see, I have black hair there. And yeah, in the mystical sphere, I became Native American as mm -hmm. I was being transformed into a medicine woman. And so then when I would become the medicine woman, I would become fully Native. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we have these different identities. And then in many of the books, you'll see where I had this other part two, where I would become the Assisi Marauder. I would be wearing the garment of the Assisi Marauder. There would be the blue particulate light that would come from me and I would become that, you know? And so we have these different parts. And later on, you see the, the scenes where I'm wearing the white robes. And, you know, so we have these different aspects of ourselves that come out in these experiences. Mm -hmm. We also spoke of the experience where a young man had a car accident and we were doing an alteration, trying to bring him back from his coma. And then we talked about how there was this edder or come forth for thy wings. And this is the painting I did of that moment, which was when I received my wings. And this is the uh, being who bestowed the wings upon me. That's great. And then of course, I saved this for last for obvious reasons. And this guy is also at the moment cut on the cover of the book, but <laughs> this is my painting of St. Michael. This comes from the experience I had when he allowed me to ride on his back. And when I had that experience, if you can imagine, I would have probably been like maybe this big. Ooh. And I was hanging out on his shoulder, hanging over the back, and he was flying me through the heavens and letting me experience this. And it was so cool because his hair and his lips and his eyes were purple because they reflected like the, the purple somehow from space. It was just really beautiful and mesmerizing. And so there's St. Michael there. So a few little visuals. <laughs> well you know our next uh, project is going to be reincarnation and karma yeah so we won't go too deep into karma right now but we're going to touch upon the differences in karmic delusions karmic circling and karmic retribution so i'll just hand it over to you well karmic delusions are basically things that we all carry that are just misperceptions we have about the nature of life, the nature of love that we brought into this life that we are here to change and purify and to alter into something that is true. Pretty much all people have them. So it's some kind of karmic delusion. So it can be, you know, going back to what we talked about when we talked about how Chief Joseph was showing me that I had an addiction to torrid romances and the adrenaline of that, you know, that is a karmic delusion where I actually perceived in some of my lifetimes that these adrenaline filled moments were the definition of love when they were just adrenaline <laughs> you know mm -hmm. they were exciting moments and they were adrenaline 
but that is not what actually love is. And so part of my own karmic journey has been to understand love. And if, ironically, for most of us, mm -hmm. understanding what love is and how it is to be best expressed in our own life is a big part of why we're here. Yeah, ultimately. We yeah. And so it usually has to do with our primary relationship. And then we also have these karmic delusions about life. And that can have to do with anything from issues we might have about money, about how we're going to live our lives, how things should be, our career path, our vocation, work-life balances, things like this. It's all, it's all interwoven. And these misunderstandings can end up playing out as karmic delusions that, and so these delusions can either, these are things that hinder you in some way from attaining to your highest good. Sounds like everything that's not having an energetic thrust towards life could be a karmic delusion. Very much so. Very much. I have, I have something to read real quick from the sure. Earth Store. Earth Store Bodhisattva. The advisor says to him, if you see those whom you know personally, as well as other travelers, be they men or women, tell them that they are, there are many poisons and evils on the path, which can cause you to lose your very nature and life. Do not let them seek their own deaths. Sutra of the Past Vows of Earth Store Bodhisattva. So do not let them seek their own deaths. So it sounds like this is karmic delusion. Exactly. And see how he uses the word seek their own deaths and here's again going back to what we were talking about with chief joseph pointing out what death is and i love earth store bodhisattva for a lot of reasons and the reason i use him in my books a lot is because he's so unique you know so here he is a buddhist monk who has these visions and had these visions of the hell realms and so in the sutra of the past vows of earth store bodhisattva he writes about all of his journeys into these hell realms and the different sufferings and the different chastisements that are being experienced by souls in these different hell realms. And he goes in there, his whole purpose is to liberate souls from these hell realms. So he's, he's practicing alteration. He is doing the same thing that I've been called to do. And, and in many of my books, you'll see how many of my experiences are working with souls in purgatorial and hellish realms to try to help them liberate them to go to higher spheres as well. And so Urstor Bodhisattva has this unique insight into these karmic delusions that hold people not only to the ground, but actually plummet them into death itself. Tell them, do not seek their own deaths. He's not talking about, hey, don't go get in a car accident and die. He's saying, do not seek your own spiritual death through these misunderstood falsehoods. Mm -hmm. And they're all around us. So yes, it's all just illusion. Because anything that takes us off the path is an illusion or it's a delusion. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly.